What's up, ladies and gentlemen? Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Live Free Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Mike Maxwell. Today's guest is the funniest working comic out there today, Mr. Joey Coco Diaz. He joined me after his set at Winston's and OB uh, this past weekend, uh, where he just demolished a, a packed crowd. He was kind enough to sit down with me and, and have a quick interview. We talked about Winston's OB, New Connections, Charles Bronson, Taking the World by the Balls, Podcasting, Finding Meaning, Chocolate Bar of Death, The Blunt of Life, Hash Bar, Juan's Gift to the Planet, Pricing of Art, Ari Shafir, The One Man Show, and Bringing the Positive. Joey's podcast, Beauty and the Beast, was a huge, huge inspiration for me to um, to do this show and continues to be. I, I'm a, I'm a uh, big fan and constant listener. I always listen to the new episodes whenever they pop up. And if you follow me on Facebook or Twitter, you see I always post about it as well. So as always, make sure you go check out the blog, MikeMaxwellArt.com. Click on the links and you'll get all the information on Joey and all the past guests for the show. You can donate to the podcast as well. And actually, fuck it, I'm going to do this now. I didn't really think about it beforehand, but uh, Joey gave me a, an extra large Beauty and the Beast podcast shirt uh, that were released by Skin Industries. So the first person to uh, Twitter at Live Free Podcast with one of Joey's catchphrases. It could be any of them, and if you if you know Joey, you should know him. Uh, if not, you can find out real quick. Uh, post that on the Live Free Podcast. Uh, it's, it's Twitter at Live Free Podcast. Uh, first person to do that, I'll, I'll send you the shirt. Um, so with all that said, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, Mr. Joey Coco Diaz. All right, Joey Coco Diaz. How are you, Mike Maxwell? I'm fucking fantastic. What's Thanks going for on, uh, for for blessing San Diego with another fucking 45 minutes of fire. Thank you for having me down here. Thank you for always coming out and visiting me. What's going on with you? Yeah, of course, um, I'm coming off a, a couple really fucking good weeks. I had a a successful solo show. Okay. That just uh, is actually still on right now. It's uh, going into the second week, I think. Um, Podcasting okay. and being uh, honest and open with a group of people, I think, has changed my um, my public perception out there for people who collect my work and have got to know me. Which I think is, uh, uh, I think, I owe a great deal to you, Felicia, Joe Rogan, and all you guys that are doing these podcasts. That are, you know, you're out here putting putting your true, real life out into the public without um, without that sort of candy coat and I think there's something um, that, that's doing to society that's allowing people to fucking be more comfortable with themselves and not not feel ashamed of some of the choices maybe they've, they've made in the past and so um, for the people who don't know I, I plug your podcast all the time yes, but it's no, uh, that's why I plug yours you're a good man it's uh, Beauty and the Beast yes with the uh, beautiful Felicia Michaels as yes. well and uh, we uh, you just came off a set here at uh Winston's. At Winston's in OB. But how we became friends, we became friends online, which is really weird. Everybody talks about dating online and whatnot. And I'm sitting here with yourself, and I'm sitting here with Frankie Parks and his wife. 
and we've created this little family off of Twitter and Facebook. You know, last week you posted an Osmond's video, and I, <laughs> and I said, "Fuck you, cocksucker! I'm gonna do you. I got three aces." You know, and it's yeah. and here we are. Here we are as a family. Something that came up off the computer in a positive way. You sent me a picture of Charles Bronson. That's my life. Anybody who knows me, anything about me, is my life. Charles Bronson. I grew up on him. And uh, the picture got hung up right away. And anybody who comes over looks at the picture and goes, that's a very interesting fucking picture. And it's really weird that art, no matter at which level, whether you draw it. Somebody made a collage from my one-man show about my life. And I brought it home, not even thinking about it. Like, I just brought it home. And I put it up. And every morning I look at that. And it's amazing the collage that she did. And it's amazing that without me opening my mouth, she told my story <coughs> with art. So it doesn't really matter. And the, the thing about it was the picture was honest. The picture of Charles Bronson that you drew was so strong and so honest. His character comes right through the picture. So when I seen that, I understood where you were coming from. The lines that you draw on his face of pain to, to, is the same pain that we all share. And uh, you just put it on. I, I say it, and you, you're one better. You get to put it on something. You get to put it on something without saying words, which I can't do. It's a different gift, you know? It's a different gift. So I admire you with all my fucking heart. I mean, uh, when you see people doing what you're doing in the same position, because we're all at the same level, we're, we're, we're happy. That's the number one thing. We're not, our bank accounts aren't busting. We don't have a butler. But boy, are we fucking happy. We, get, we wake up every morning. We have the world by the balls because we get to tell the world and people listen or people look at our pictures, our world, what your world is inside of you. You know, you look at all these Paris Hiltons, you look at all these people, and people knock reality television. Me, it works for a guy like me, because I was never going to be in a scripted show. But I'll be the king of reality, because I'll take you for a fucking ride. I'll <laughs> right. take you for a fucking ride. And uh, that's what podcast has done. Podcast is an extension of fucking, uh, of, of reality TV. It's all that is an extension of reality TV. When I got into the podcast business, I made a promise to myself. I listened to a bunch of podcasts. And for some people, they were extensions of their comedy routines, and that works for them, and they look into the podcast a little different. With the podcast I do, whether it's GRE, any podcast, I like to expose myself somewhere. I want to take you on a ride. I want to let you know what I did, even though it wasn't the happiest thing or the happiest memory and how I recovered from it. And I don't want, I never got stuck in that place. You know, a lot of people get stuck. Yeah, I got stuck during my divorce, and I got stuck, you know, with comedy. Sometimes you get stuck with what decisions you're going to make. But... I'm not stuck anymore, and it's because of art, you know, and uh, artists are a very special breed of people because we all know each other's pains. I don't have to know you. I looked at your artwork, and right away I fell in love with you. You didn't know me. You, you fucking listened to me on the podcast, and, and we became friends. You brought me a biggie pad, which I still have <laughs> yeah. notes there, so you knew how to get under my skin without saying nothing. You brought me a piece of my soul, which I owe you forever. So oh. that's what art is. Art is a piece of your soul, and you're giving it to somebody. And people don't appreciate that no more. In today's, in today's society, it's this who's sitting in a VIP section. Those people don't give you the art from their soul. It's people like us that give you the art from this, from our soul. It's uh, it's a great, it's a great thing. Yeah, it's important, you know, because I think a lot of us, and you know, it's not to like say that there's anything wrong with it, but a lot of us get stuck in like our day-to-day -day bullshit where we got to go work an office job that we don't want to go to, you know, fucking pay the bills that we don't want to pay, you know, we got to feed our fucking kids and, and do that whole routine. So a lot of people, they lose out on, on a lot of things that happen in this life that 
maybe some creative types who who, who focus their time the way that they they choose um, get to experience and you know and that's not to say it's like oh uh, somebody's better than you or, or, or any of that shit but there's just you know it's funny you say uh, how you there's this I don't know if you said jealousy or like there's like how you're able to make things with pictures but you're you know you're telling a story like I often find that like I become envious of uh, of a storyteller because I'm trying to tell this story but it's so cryptic and sort of wrapped up in this like this hidden message in this painting that it's not always that fuck it's not that clear to the viewer which which works out because when I'm making things I want I want the viewer to wrap their own experience around it which do you think do you find that in with with the stories that you tell like do you want people to uh to wrap their own experience around it or is it is storytelling more about total focus on on putting them where you've been I have I, that thought just came to me right off the top of my head first of all it's really weird I don't when I was a kid my brother George who I've introduced you to George Kalodinsky's a great framer in Jersey he would take me into the city he had a friend that would do art in the city and I remember I would go over there and look and I didn't know I was a fucking street kid I'm in a fucking museum looking at art I can't <laughs> yeah. believe like what does this do for you and it's weird because you can't get anything from a picture from looking at it once you can look at it and you feel something then if you look at it a week later you'll feel something else and the more you look at that picture weekly it means something else to you until you put the whole picture together you take this you take the so a picture when you look at a picture uh, you can look at it and the first week you'll figure something out about the artist but the more you look at that picture you'll see all the things come together of that artist and it's a really neat experience to, to, to see you know like the, with a with a storyteller or a comic or whatever the fuck it is that we do you know for years I just did jokes and then I figured out that everybody's got a half hour so I want to take you into my world and the only way to take you into my world is with stories is to tell you what I've done and then you have to make your own correlation when I read a book when I read about the Stones I read about the Mick Jagger book I read about the Ron Wood book and I read the Keith Richards book and in there <laughs> I decide what really happened yeah. That's where I decide as the viewer, and the same thing with uh, with uh, storytelling. You know, ever since I've been doing the Catholic school joke, so many people have come up to me and said, "Dog, I went to Catholic school." Yes, I wanted to say it too. It, it's amazing, and that's the same connection you have. Yeah. When, when I was telling jokes, I wasn't connecting with people. He's a funny guy, and I would go home, and that's it. But now that I'm telling my soul to people. Now that you hear it, either you like me or you don't, and you come see me, and we have a good time. And usually now, the people that come to see me, I get along with everybody. Yeah. On the way out, people used to run when they come see me. Fuck that. <laughs> but now I get along with everybody. We hang out. The show got out an hour ago. We're still here. Yeah. And there's still people in front talking, and that's that's what we do. We take you into I always wanted to take people into my living room, but I was very scared to. So I would give you topical jokes. I'd go out there and do little jokes that would make you laugh, Rodney Dangerfield type stuff. But I really wanted to open my heart out to people, and uh, it's worked. It's working for me. And the only thing that's a shame about it is that I'm learning about it at an old age. I'm learning about it at 48. If I could have known this at 20, it would have made my life a lot different. That to know where you are and to be honest all the time and to tell people about where you've been because it makes your life a lot easier. We always try to find all these things to be cool. Let's go yeah, to yeah. Starbucks and yeah. shit like that. I always went to Starbucks. I didn't like being there. Because the people in there didn't know my journey. I didn't know their journey. When you reveal your journey to people, 
it makes your life a complete different story. Look at if if we would have just been Twitter friends, talking, we would have been at a different level. Once yeah. you revealed your soul to me in that picture of Charles Bronson, that was it, dog. We're friends for life. You just bailed me out of jail. That means we're friends for life. We built a bond. I read I read your pain, and you know my pain. That's our common fucking bond. I'm high off that chocolate bar already. If I'm talking to yeah, we, we <laughs> you fucking we, gave me the chocolate bar of death. God fuck. damn. Yeah, uh, we we also smoked the uh, the blunt of life. The blunt which, of life. <laughs> which I don't know if you remember. Uh, I take some some silly fucking pride in in helping uh, spawn a, a new name because the blunt of life used to have a different name, right? What was it? It was the blunt of death. Death. Yes. Yeah. And I made some comment, you know, just you know, being like the positive guy. Absolutely. Right? Right? Absolutely. Yes. And from then on, it's been the blunt of life the from then on. Life. Yes. It so has. you, I mean, I, there must've been a hundred people out there, uh, give like screaming your, uh, your, your words that you say on the regular, you know, everyone does their impersonations of you out there. So I, I, I catch some, what's funny. I keep fucking with this camera. I, uh, I catch some, some strange pride from, from the blunt of life. No, the blunt, and it's true because the blunt of life is the blunt of life. If you do it in the morning, it gives you life. First thing in the morning, you and it doesn't have to be a blunt. It's just a little bit of grass, just to get your day going. You know, you got a bad back, whatever the fuck it is that's <laughs> killing you. You smoke a little bit in the morning, and it really does make your life a little brighter early in the morning. You can't get too stoned. Sometimes you get too stoned and you pass out. Then I'm waking up at fucking one o'clock. I can't do that. But just a little blunt of life. When I say it. I don't even mean it as a head. I mean it as something on a positive level. The yeah. of life, bro. Yeah. It, it gives life. And, and that's, I'm the same way. Like, I, I barely ever smoke blunts. I only brought a blunt today just just, just because the name goes so good. The like, the, so the word, good. it's like, I do super joint sometimes. Super joint. Super joint. <laughs> super joint. Bong hits for Jerry's kids. <laughs> yeah. Bong hits for Jesus. Ralphie May yeah. calls it. We all have our different, what we take from it. You know, some people smoke and they see Jesus. God bless you. That's what you're into. That's you know, man. Some, I I get up and smoke, and I it puts me on an even keel. Like I, I, it's almost like I don't even really get high anymore. Like except for that wax, uh, that that new shop opened up. They got them wax bong hits right there for you to hit right oh. there on the counter, and that shit puts me in la la land. I did comedy at L.A. Confidentially on a Thursday night. They have a show there every Thursday, and they have the hash bar also where you uh -huh. sit down and they put the hash in and they fill it in and uh, and it's quite the experience the Skywalker. What got, how long have you been drawing for? How long have you been involved with art? I've made things since I could get a pencil in my hand. Um, I actually have the first painting I ever did. Um, my grandfather lived up near Santa Barbara and did um, a lot of like landscape sort of Bob Ross sort of style shit and he was an oil painter and he, he, he ran this... Um, uh, trailer park up there. It was an all retired uh, trailer park, and he had a studio set up on the side of his thing. And uh, we both did the same painting at the same time. So he'd be like, "Okay, here's this brushstroke," and I would do that brushstroke. All right, this brushstroke goes this way, and do that brushstroke. So he, uh, we did these two paintings over a weekend, and I still, I still have the two canvases. They sit up on my uh, on my wall, and I just a couple. I guess last year I got a portrait of him that his buddy had did because he hung out with like this group of artists that, that made shit all the time and they all hung out and 
probably smoked weed and drank whiskey and got wild or whatever. But so I did those two and then my mom was really good at drawing. And so I always I always had this like competition. Like I was like, I, I gotta be better than her. Like I want like I knew that I, I think because I got attention from it at an early age, like I was like, ooh, this is something that, that made sense to me, right? And so you know, I talk about this too, like how it's sometimes it's an escapism doing the work. You know, there's a fine line between escapism and then like getting into that meditative phase of like clearing the mind of all the bullshit, you know, like of being right there in the present, that, that idea of being in the present and doing it now. But, um, so I did it my whole life. And then like in high school, I talk, I got a documentary that me and another artist um, got filmed for that's coming out this summer. And in the film, I, there's in the trailer, it says, uh, I, he asked me um, about something about art. And I, uh, I took one art class in high school. And we were supposed to draw this fucking shoe or something. And I didn't like how my drawing turned out. So I turned it into like a, like a robot or a werewolf or some, something fucking silly. And I tried to turn it in. He said, no, 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 you can't turn this in. You got to draw a shoe. And I was like, no, this is, I'm turning this in. And it was at that exact and I ended up getting kicked out of class because I got smart and said some nasty shit or something because I was like that you were an artist yeah, <laughs> yeah. I said what the fuck was on your mind so I I was like no this is it and he's like if you don't if you don't draw a shoe I'm kicking you out of the class I was like then kick me out of the class and it was at that moment I knew that art was what I wanted it to be and there wasn't no motherfucker that was going to tell me what I could and couldn't make, you know? Like, And I was only 16, 15 or something. And how long have you been making a living off your art? Um, I'm coming up on a decade now. Ten years of doing it full-time without any, um, without any like, real job. Good for you. Congratulations. But I'll tell you what. The last two years has been a struggle. Like, Hey, man, but you know what? It's like the guy said. You can't always get what you want. But you get what you need. Yeah. And that's the main thing as an artist. I always hear that in the back of my head every morning. It's weird because I always wanted to learn how to draw. And my inspiration for drawing is uh, came from a weird place. When I was five or six, my mother remarried. And she remarried this guy named Juan Tuero, who was a tremendous big-time bookmaker of Cuban numbers. But his main thing was his handwriting and his drawings. And when he was in prison when I was a young kid he would send me all these pictures of Mickey Mouse and stuff and because I sketched off things like I'd take a piece of paper and you sketch off a thing uh -huh. I thought that's how he did it so I always looked at it like yeah that's nothing I took it as a present like an empty present and then when he got out of prison you know he would uh, date my mother and then he got married he became my stepfather and I would see him in the mornings man drawing from fucking memory drawing Mickey Mouse, he would look at it for a while and then draw and look at it and I would always wait for him to cheat on me and sketch it <laughs> yeah. and he would draw anything, Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse he just drew all these things for me and I remember I was so envious of him like I used to send his, when I was a kid they had those contests though so send it in and win like a year at a scholarship <laughs> yeah, yeah. and I would try to send his work in like mine, <laughs> you know and then they yeah. were, and I was too young and there was, it was a scam but it was amazing, that was my first thing about art and I tell you something about Juan Tuero that I've talked about before on the podcast. I seen Juan shoot a guy. I seen Juan, I seen Juan slice a guy one time. His main weapon was to shoot guys with tear gas. Like he'd have a pencil like over here and just shoot him at people and walk away. He was a badass dude, but it's amazing that he had the love for art he had. You know, all day long he would re-love miniseries, those little 
Cuban novellas, the yeah. Spanish ones. Yeah. I mean, this guy was a killer, and he read little novellas. <laughs> but the beauty about him was his art. His art was so, and, and, and you know, even now he's dead. He's been dead for six years, and you go to his house ten years ago. And he'd have art that he made. And he didn't know what it was worth. He didn't know nothing. Yeah. He would just look at a picture and draw it. But it's amazing that he had this gift and he never did nothing with it. You know, and it was just amazing that part of my anger towards him, yeah, he didn't give me my mom's money. He didn't. He was a good stepfather. But part of my anger towards him was that he never did nothing with his art. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> oh, like, yeah. I always thought, I always, uh, you always uh, admire people that you feel you can't do what they do, you know, in a yeah, way. Yeah, right, right. Like, you look at it, like, uh, when I seen the Charles Bronson picture, I was sold. I would have sucked your dick <laughs> I'm like, this is fucking amazing because it's art. It's like tonight you watch me on stage and, you know, you're like, wow, that's art. Whether I'm yeah. talking about fucking or shooting people or, you know, it's art because... We're talking. We're giving you a piece of us. Like I said before, it's our soul. And Juan didn't know what his really gift was when he came to this planet. He didn't know. You know, he really didn't know what his gift was. He thought he was a bookmaker, and he thought he was just gonna, he was just gonna shoot people for a living. But his main gift that's was what art. Ha- that's what happens for a lot of people. I mean, because we're it's almost like we're trained, you know, to uh, to to be like uh, as if being creative is childish sort of like we're supposed to move out of it in you know this sort of capitalistic society and a lot of people don't know that you can actually make money and survive doing uh the shit that you want to do distracted by this window up here well it's really funny because (laughs) i'm sitting here thinking about how you know you draw a picture you know you, you put the fruit or whatever you draw and what's the value of art? How can I say to you, well, Mike Maxwell, what do you want for that Charles Bronson picture? Mm-hmm. You look at me and go, well, I put 11 hours in. The fucking canvas cost me this. The frame cost me this. This is what the picture should be. This is what my hourly rate is. This is what I like to get an hour, 35 uh-huh. an hour and everything. I did 11 hours. So it's 400 I need 750 But in a way, art is whatever you pay for it. Art, you could say ten thousand. You know, yeah. how does these? I read about all these pictures that go for two million dollars or uh-huh. eight thousand dollars. Art is, you know, what makes somebody go in their checkbook and fork over eight thousand for a picture. I still don't know the answer to that. It's it's so it's so strange, and you know, and that's like what I was saying before. Like having people hear what some of my stories are, like being open and honest about certain things. Like this last show that I did, I sold a ton of stuff. And <clears throat> it's funny, I talk about it a lot. Like, the people who buy my work typically are like, uh, like blue collar, like working people who probably aren't spending money on art on the regular, right? Like, so people who are, if they go out and spend 500 bucks on a piece of art, that's a lot of dough for them. Like, that's a big, that's a big investment. And so they have to have something that really touches them to, to, get down and really fork out the dough for that shit but the thing is is like i said like i have a a working class sort of collector base that i almost gain like i i have more respect that it it's more it's more difficult for a working class person to fork out 300 bucks than it is for like a white collar person to fork out three grand like i understand that mentality and i actually it's almost like it feels better like selling the three hundred dollar painting instead of the three thousand dollar painting, because I know it means a little bit more. Like I know it's not just 
like a frugal, or not frugal, but uh, a sort of frivolous, uh, just mantle thing to put on the mantle, like a trophy type thing. But it's actually something that like these people have some strange connection to right, that, right. that they really are putting their soul into it. You know, it's and so the value ends up being what the market will pay for it. You know, but it. I've really been wanting to try to look I've been looking at comedians you know and seeing like the way that that like a traveling comedian makes money so like as an artist we don't have the opportunities to play every week like we play we perform once every three months four months because that's how long it takes to make all the work, work and put work. it up and do the shit so I've been trying to think of like ways to sort of emulate the business plan of of how a comedian can go from city to city or how a musician, a traveling band can go from city to city, play a show, get those fans because that's part of the thing is you got to be out there talking to the people, you know, now we have the internet and shit. So like we can get out there and Twitter and talk to people and we have the podcast. So like I have 51, 55 plus hours of my fucking loud mouth running out there. So now you have a web page with your work on it. Just your work, that yeah. You're selling and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, but so you know, mostly that? I, I, it's that's MikeMaxwellArt.com, okay. and then it has the links to where everything else goes to. But you know, I have to sell my work through a gallery, and a gallery takes fifty percent. Oh shit! So when you're looking at a piece of artwork that let's say it costs a thousand dollars, the artist is getting five hundred. So the artist is selling that piece for five hundred. Why could you only have to sell it through a gallery? That's the only way it would go. You don't you. I've done a lot better without the middleman, but there's something about like the prestige level. Like if you want to start getting into museums in the older age, you got you know you have to be showing in the right galleries. You have to be showing to the right people. But maybe that might be the old paradigm. And I've been talking about this shit. Like we might be able to wreck. Maybe this maybe this might put me in trouble. But we might be able to wreck these fools and tell all these galleries to go suck a dick. Suck a dick, yeah. Because we have... Look at all of us have all of our, you know, 5,000 fans on your Facebook. you got all your fucking Twitters. You know, you, you, you're you directly connected to the people. And back in the day, there wasn't that connection. There wasn't no connection to the artists. The artists hung out with the other artists and did their shit. And, you know, you saw them at the openings. But that was it. Now we're out here in the public doing our shit. You know? It's... it's it, we have a connection to the people, but it's almost like it's like there's a an unspoken set of rules that we all have to sort of follow our way through, you know. Which I guess is sort of life. That's that's right? the way. You gotta, hey man, everybody's got to make a living, you know. Fifty percent of gallery. And what's the gallery you have the art show now? Um, I have the show up at Subtext Gallery. And where's that at? That's in Little Italy, right down near the airport. Right, those fucking. Have you ever flown into the San Diego airport? Never. Never. It's wild, man. It comes down over North Park, and it just skims. It's almost like it's skipping on the water over the tops of the buildings coming in. No, and it's actually the, the gallery is right in the flight path. Right and when there. is it open to your gallery? When is the show going uh, The show is up now, and it's open till June 19th. You don't give me enough time. Yeah. It's two fucking weeks. You never invited me. I'd love to come down and look at your stuff. Yeah, I'm, we get uh, together next week or something. Maybe let me see my schedule. I don't have much next week. The week after that, after June 18th, I'm on a fucking like eight weeks or something. So after June 18th, my hands are pretty full. After that. I'm. Uh, I've been hearing you talk about the one man show a lot. I'm. I'm really excited to see um, what sort of directions you go. I think for me, I've talked about this quite a bit. That now listening to podcasts of comedians, it gives me a a, a better respect for the artwork. 
But at the same time, I almost find myself a little more interested in the stories, like getting those stories, those half-hour stories where I'm not, where I don't have to laugh every every thirty seconds or you know whatever the rhythm is. That I could sit down and just listen, you know. Our dear friend Larry Shafir has a thing in Hollywood called Storytellers, and it's a show where. Uh, Comedians go up and tell a story about a certain, a certain sports or whatever. He always picks it. And it's weird that I, I always, you know, I have a repertoire of stories, and I did his a couple times, and he posted them, and I got good reviews off and stuff. And my one-man show I started writing about three years ago, and these are all the stories that I never had the heart to tell people. Like when people say, oh, well, my mother uh, threw my dad out and threw his clothes out the window, I would just sit there and go, Wow. You know, my mom hit my stepdad in the head with a fucking bottle of cologne, and he never came home. You know, shit like that. And I have all these stories, and, you know, I wanted the people to feel my pain when I was younger. So I put together a one-man show, and it's called uh, Answer Me When I Call. And it's about uh, me growing up in this Cuban house that with bookies and whatnot, and, uh, you know, what I learned from them, what I took from each of them, you know? Like, even though um, Juan was a fucking killer, you know what I'm saying? Uh, here, here, we'll just take a little pause. What's up? All right. So the one-man show is basically about me, zero to 15, coming from Cuba, growing up with my mom. My mom, uh, meeting this Juan Tuero, who I said was uh, a big-time bookmaker. So was my mom. And then they broke up and what happened to us after him and my mom broke up. And it's basically my relationship with my mother. And I'm doing, uh, I, I got a theater, a Zombie Joe's Theater in North Hollywood. And I'll be running it all Wednesdays in uh, August. I'm going to be running five Wednesdays. I've already done a couple workshops and gotten some people involved. And I think I got something good. Because, yeah. again, it lets you know more. It lets you, <laughs> Once you go see that, you're like, oh, now I know where he got that from. Oh, now I know and that's the interesting thing. It's like when you go to your friend's house. How old are you now, Mike Maxwell? 32. So in about 10 years, you're going to be going to your friend's house from high school, and you're going to meet their kids. And you're going to be sitting there looking at their kids, and this kid's going to do something, and you're going to go, wow, your dad used to do that when you were 10 yeah, or 11. Yeah. And you see it, and now it, it explains everything. Seeing one thing maybe explains a lot of things about a person. And uh, that's why I'm doing the one-man show is really to put it all out there a little bit even more. I want Joe Diaz 3D. I decided a couple of years <laughs> ago that every comedian has 30 good minutes. We're all very funny and insightful in our own little way. But the, the next couple of years, you have to open up. It's going to be 3D Joe Diaz, 3D Mike Maxwell. People want to really take a look inside your soul. And uh, that's just the decision, I think. Times are getting harder economically, socially. And people want to find comfort someplace. And as long as people think that you're on the same level as they are, or we've been through the same things, we have a connection. And that's where I think the next couple of years is going to go. You know, Oprah's gone and Elvis is dead. <laughs> so somebody's got to cover the fucking spread. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, man. Well, I think I think we're on that fucking positive track. And I know that you've done that for me. And I already see me doing that for other people. You've Not to scratch me, my man. own back, but it's no. like... You know, this it's is that what it's all thing. about. It's all about uh, there's people in your life that matter. Everybody matters. Everybody matters now. You know, Japan's fucking floating. Everybody, everything matters now to us. It's not just your community. And, and I used to always get mad at things. And, and if you change maybe something that you do, other people see it and everybody changes. It all starts with you, bro. It all starts with you. 
You know, I went to yoga this morning. I seen a girl that was 500 fucking pounds. I wanted to give her, go over and give her a hug. Yeah. But I see her in yoga, and it all starts with that yoga. It all starts with that little change. And, you know, me giving her a hug afterward and fucking around with her about yum yum donuts, she said she'd meet me there Tuesday. <laughs> so do you understand me? She yeah. said, I went up to her because I know what it is to be 500 pounds. And for some people to look at you, so I knew her pain. Yeah. So by me going up to her and fucking around with her saying, come back and giving her a hug, her stomach was way bigger than mine ever was at 400 pounds. I mean, it was heartbreaking. But she's a young girl, and my wife met her, and we had a great time. So me spreading that little bit of positive to her, I know how hard it is to be 500 sure. pounds. You do an hour of yoga, you're going to go eat 15 fucking cakes. That's just the psychology in the back of your mind. But as long as she keeps coming to the gym, if I change her a little bit, if I let her know it was okay to come to the gym, it don't matter if you're a fat fuck. Even the skinny people at the gym look out for you. Yeah. Because yeah. they respect that you're going to the gym. You know, you see somebody fat with three fucking cheeseburgers on the corner, you're like, look at that fat fuck. <laughs> when you see him in the gym on a bike sweating, and you know what they're going through, yeah. it gives you a different respect to them. You know, sure. so that's what my one man show is about, and that's all I got to tell you tonight, Mike Maxwell, because I love you to death. Please keep supporting Mike Maxwell. He's uh, a straight-up fucking gangster of art. That's why I love you, cocksucker. <laughs> uh, thanks, brother. I appreciate it. I love you, too. Thank um, you for having me on the podcast. So you, I'll do it any time for you. Attaboy. We, uh, you're Mad Flavor on the Twitters? Facebook, Twitter. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. All right, brother. Let's do uh, let's do a dap for the, the end of this thing. Nice. I love All you right, thanks, Joey. Max Ballard. Let's go outside. In the morning, crack of dawning, now I'm yawning, wipe the cold out my eye. See who's this page of me and why. It's my nigga Pop from the barber shop. Told me he was in the gambling spot and heard the intricate plot. A niggas wanna stick me like fly paper neighbor. Slow down, love, please chill, drop the paper. Remember them niggas from the hill up in Brownville that you rolled dice with? Yeah, my nigga fame up in prospect. Nah, them my niggas, nah, love wouldn't disrespect. I didn't say them, they school me to some niggas that you knew from back when, when you was clocking minor figures. Now they heard you blowing up like nitro, and they wanna stick the knife through your windpipe slow. So, thank fame for warning me, cause now I'm warning you, I got the Mac, nigga, tell me what you gonna do. Damn, niggas wanna stick me for my paper. Damn, niggas wanna stick me for my paper. Damn. Niggas wanna stick me from my paper. Damn. Niggas wanna stick me from my paper. They heard about the Rolexes and the Lexus with the Texas license plates out of state. They heard about the pounds you got down in Georgetown. And they heard you got half Virginia locked down. They even heard about the clip you bought your mom South Florida, the fifth corridor. Call the coroner. There's gonna be a lot of slow singing and flower bringing if my burglar alarm starts ringing. What you think all the guns is for? Purpose war got the rock wellers by the door, and I feed them gunpowder so they can devour the criminals trying to drop my decimals. Damn, niggas wanna stick me for my cream, and it ain't a dream. Things ain't always what it seems. It's the ones that smoke blunts with ya, see your picture. Now they wanna grab their guns and come and get ya. Bet your biggie won't slip. I got the calico with the black talons loaded in the clip, so I can rip through the ligaments. Put the fuckers in the bad predicament with all the foul niggas went. Touch my cheta, feel my beretta. Fuck what I'ma hit you with your motherfuckers. Better duck. I bring pain, blood stains on what remains of his jacket. He had a gun, he should've packed it, cocked it. 
extra clips in my pocket so I can reload and explode on your asshole. I fuck around and get hardcore. C4 to your door, no beef, no more, nigga. Feel the rough, scandalous. The more weed smoke I puff, the more dangerous. I don't give a fuck about you or your weak crew. What you gonna do when Big Papa come for you? I'm not running, nigga. I bust my gun and hold on. I hear somebody coming. 